This is the Beyond Belief Sobriety Podcast, where we examine topics of interest to people who seek a secular path to recovery from addictions of all kinds. Today, uh, we have a guest, and his name is Jamie Salzberg. He is the host of the After Gambling Podcast. Jamie is a former problem gambler, and he hasn't gambled since July 15th of 2010. He's created a website and podcast called After Gambling to help people who are struggling with this problem. He also provides peer support for recovering gamblers and their family and friends. You can learn more about Jamie and his podcast at aftergambling.com. Jamie, I am so glad to have you here today. Welcome to Beyond Belief Sobriety. Thanks for having me on. It's awesome to chat. Well, um, maybe a good place to start, if you don't mind, is if you could introduce yourself to the listeners here at Beyond Belief Sobriety, uh, uh, a little bit of your background and your personal story of how you got involved in uh, down this road of problem gambling. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, my name is Jamie Salzberg. I'm a former problem gambler. And as you said, I haven't gambled since July 15th of 2010, which those years are starting to add up as well. I mean, early on, I think we all wanted it to go fast, but it's kind of cool to look back. But no, I mean, I got into gambling and it was one of those things that for me, it was, it was one of those slow things. It just started off kind of as a casual thing. Uh, I was a 21-year-old in college when Chris Moneymaker won the World Series of Poker. And it was one of the first times that gambling had kind of gone into sport. I remember. I used to actually watch ga- um, poker the, yeah, on TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so literally, I went from being like a 20-year-old that didn't know anything about poker. Um, I was a golfer, so we'd gamble on the golf course, but it was small stakes. I remember the first time I played cards was with my friends. And, and I'm watching. I don't know if a straight beats a flush. I don't know any of this stuff. But then it was on ESPN. And so our whole... Uh, group of friends started watching the the poker and we started having home games and being the competitive person i got into it and started playing a little bit and we'd play a little bit more um then you could play online and at that point i mean it was very much kind of the responsible gambler i I had seen firsthand that that gambling could go down a a bad path and so i was really aware of that so i was really trying to be cautious Um, but as can happen all of a sudden then you become a little less cautious And, and i had a pretty significant win which then kind of just really messed with my thinking of how I viewed the product. Um, it, it wasn't just something that was fun. It became something that consumed pretty much all hours of my life. I wasn't going to class. I was, I was just continuing to gamble more and more because I saw that as a way to actually kind of be a career. And that's how we, we kind of thought of poker back in those days. Um, now, obviously, that is fine when you're winning. Um, but then the losses started to add up. And a two thousand dollar credit card uh, debt became ten thousand. Yeah, it can be devastating. 000. It can really pile up quickly, can it? It can, and that's the, the unique thing about gambling is as things are getting worse, you continue to look at your your vice gambling as the way to get out. And it's something like I mean, you don't see that with other vices as much, but gambling, like it's literally like you had those wins, and so you see this as a legitimate path. And I think that's every gambler's fantasy is I'm just going to get back to even. I just got to get back to even or close to even. And then I'm going to quit. I'm never going to do it again. Nobody has to know just how bad my financial situation got during that time. And that's that's what you just keep going. And so even as the losses pile up, you have this fantasy world, which just remains, which is, okay, I'm going to get back. I'm going to win. I'm, I'm not going to. I mean, for, for me, poker it was one of those things that was kind of these big losses in, in short spurts. 
I'd play like a certain way for a long time, but then I get, it's called tilt where you just lose your mind and, and you'd lose significant amounts of money. And I'm like, Oh, I just won't do that next time. I just won't do that. But eventually, obviously, like over the course of seven years from between 21 and 28, uh, the, the debt just got out of control. Um, to the point where then I was very fortunate. I actually, my phone pocket dialed from a table, um, which was in, unfortunate thing at the time but a very fortunate thing looking back and i got caught and it was something that i had tried to quit um and i had successfully quit for about nine months just kind of cold turkey but but this forced me into uh, other people knowing about it and the right people that, that just kind of said you know what you have a problem but you can get help and forced me into 12 step forced me into starting to get therapy and address my problem which Otherwise, I would have just continued trying that same path, which was I'm going to play poker as my way to get out of this. There's something about addiction where we think that we're somehow successfully hiding it. And when we're when it's brought out in the open, that is really a terrifying feeling. And it's like the game, the game is up. You know, it's like, OK, I, I give up. And I had a similar experience. You know, people confronted me and said, listen, you got a problem. We know you got a problem. And I'm like. I guess I ha- didn't I didn't know I had a problem or I didn't admit that I had a problem. I was in this weird place where den- my denial was so strong that it took someone else telling me that they knew I was a you know before I could actually um have any sort of motivation to do anything. Yeah, and that's one of the crazy things about gambling again is you can't see it. You can't smell it on somebody's breath. Like unless you see and even, I mean, unless you see the financial statements that the gambler doesn't want you to see, because I mean, we're, we're really good at moving money around and hiding debt and doing all those things that it's really hard for, for people to see it. But when they do, even still, it's like, no, I, I don't have a problem. My problem is that, that I just lose, I lost the last time. And, and so you kind of continue to justify that. But, but when you do, I think the thing that really helped me was, I mean, my significant other, um, then fiance, now, now wife said, you know what, like, I understand, like, like you're a good person but you have this thing that you have to address. And it was, I wasn't able to just kind of justify it anymore as, well, I'm, I'm going to figure it out. And even the day I quit, I was lucky. My sister, I, I mean, she said something to me, which still sticks with me. She said, you're saying all the right things, but like in your voice, I, I still hear you think that you can do it. And it was that challenge that kind of really like kind of woke me up. So I had a close call with developing this problem, and it goes back quite a long ways. Uh, I was probably sober about 10 years. Um, This was back in the 1990s, I guess, and they were first opening up uh, casino boats here in Kansas City. And I got really um, enthused with the game of blackjack and counting cards and playing blackjack. And I would find myself um, at the blackjack tables, eight hours, 10 hours. I mean, I was just just there a lot. Um, weirdly enough, I was winning a lot in the beginning. Um, but then things turned, I started losing and it was like, I could never win again. And what, for whatever reason I got bored with it, fortunately for me and didn't continue, but I recognized that I had a serious addiction at the time because I would feel a rush with the highs and the lows, I would feel, I could feel like a doctor has explained to me how the dopamine levels will spike in your brain when you're engaging in this activity and you need more and more of it. And I can recognize that that's what was happening with me. It was almost like the lows 
were almost just as <laughs> just as addictive as the highs because that's probably what was triggering me to get back up or something. I don't know, but it was a roller coaster for sure. And I'm just fortunate. I, I could see how I could have easily gone down that path, but something happened with me where I just, I just didn't. And I, I you know, I, I think all of us that are, that get into an addiction are susceptible to other addictions, you know? Definitely. Uh, and that's something I've seen quite a bit. And that's why it's cool to kind of reach out to other addictions. Cause I think so many times, like we focus on the, like we're in a silo and it's important to understand like the intricacies of a specific addiction, but, but, but when you're in a 12 step meeting for 10 years and you see people, and it's like, I'm in this A and this A, I mean, G A N A, A A, you start to see, okay, well, there's, there's something bigger here that, that's kind of impacting all of us. And, and that awareness just helps us um, so that, so we don't, I mean, I'm as prone as anybody to say, okay, Hey, I had a stressful day. Like maybe I should have a drink, but that like understanding, okay, no, like that is, that's the thinking that led me to gambling. It was that escapism and, and understanding and seeing it, whether it's food or alcohol or gambling, like it doesn't, it, it was always that same kind of escapism. Man, that escapism, that's a good word for it. That that's absolutely, I think what I was doing and my drinking and any, anytime I gauge and engage in any sort of compulsive or addictive behavior, it's an escape from whatever, it is going on with me or my world that I'm not able to deal with, or I just, that's the way I choose to deal with it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, and I think it makes sense, right? Yeah, it does make sense. We, we, we're, we're assured to have struggle in our life. And so it's just a matter of, we got to figure out what are healthy escapism versus the ones that are unhealthy. And, and I think any, anything can become unhealthy if we do it too much. And that's really kind of been my takeaway is, and that's okay. Like, and even just when you start to look at it, like I'm a business guy and I'm like Steve jobs, like he was committed to Apple. I'm like, was he an addict? He was probably right. But like, but he had a good outcome. So we say, okay, that's success. But so many of those behaviors, and that's especially like athletes you see and just com- competitive business people, like successful people in all realms, like those same traits. I think it's important to understand that those traits can lead us down different paths depending on essentially, I mean, how long we do it and just, can we keep it in check? Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to a couple of your episodes, uh, most your most recent episodes, 87 and 88 about shame and, and st- I guess stigma and shame. And this conversation that we're having right now is reminding me of that episode because the, imagine the shame and st- just the, that we, that, that you, that we feel when it's like, God, I really screwed up. I can't believe I've lost this. I, you know, I can't believe I went down this road. Um, and I wonder, I wonder if you can maybe share a little bit about what you were talking about in those episodes about the shame and stigma that surround addiction and, and, and specifically with compulsive gambling. Yeah. And I think with gambling, it starts with finances, right? And we all want to like kind of put on this face that we have our finances in place. It's something we're real secretive about. And so it's, so whenever we start to build up and for me, it always led down to like, I felt like I was going down two different paths where I had this public facing uh, persona, which I showed to the world, the face, the, the, the shield that was like, okay, here's Jamie, the business guy. He has his stuff together. He's doing well. The more that I would kind of build that up while in reality, I, I knew what my actions were. I knew what my behaviors were. I knew what my bank account looked like. And those two paths, as they got further and further away, the shame of that just became, became bigger and bigger. And a that's true Jekyll I, and Hyde story. 
Absolutely. It really is. If you ever, if you read that book, man, it's, it's a really good description of, of, of addiction. Um, and just what you described, those two parts of us, the part, the part that we try to present to the public that I've got my act together and I'm good with, I'm a member of the community and everything. But then we have this Hyde character who goes out and does this other, this other thing. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's tough. And, and we don't know how to, we don't know how to get back to, to, to the middle, right? Like we don't know how to bring those things together. And ultimately it takes being honest with ourselves, with other people to start to, to actually tell the truth. And as gamblers, I mean, we are big liars. I mean, we're lying about our, our wins. We're lying about our finances. We're lying about everything. And that's, that's a hard thing to do is to unpack that and to go up, especially it's the people that we love the most, right? People closest to us that we're lying to the most. And so that's, I think that just further, further complicates it and puts us in a spin and eventually we end up isolated. And the one thing I've learned is the more that I became isolated, I see it with other people is the more that we're isolated, that just, that shame and stigma just continues to spiral, spiral, spiral. And that's where like now, like having, having my groups that I work with and people that I can just text the message that are on similar paths, it, it unpacks. It. That's my way to get back to the middle. It's, it's a comforting place. It's, it's somebody that understands what I've been through that on a level that, that just somebody that hasn't been through gambling addiction, maybe, maybe can't. But then once we have that conversation, now I can move on and I can talk to somebody I mean, that has a different addiction. And then I can move on and talk to somebody that just a, average person in life about life. And, and so it's, it's these little steps, I think to, to, that we have to get out of the shame and stigma, but especially as gamblers, we're, we're all about taking the big swing to just get out of it once and for all. Right. Like we want to go from this deep, pit to jumping into everything's perfect but the reality is it's a whole bunch of small steps along the way yeah and i think you mentioned and i mentioned and i think you mentioned in one of the episodes that we have this feeling that that we can't that we're at the shame of something we can't control but i and you were and tell just correct me if i'm wrong and take me down the right right path but i think that you were you were talking about the this idea that we can take steps to control or or somehow manage or or deal with that, that shame. Yeah. And I, I talk a lot on some of the episodes. I'm trying to remember exactly what you're, what you're going towards, but, but I do think there is a part you know, with shame and stigma. I think I read the book, the four agreements recently. And I think it goes back to that, which is we ultimately like we're responsible for our feelings, for our emotions. Uh, if, if we process things in a way that leads to shame and stigma, then absolutely. Like we take on all that shame and stigma. But, but it's, it's kind of interesting if somebody that you don't really care about, care for, whatever, and they say something negative about us, it's like, oh, I don't care. Like, we don't have that same attachment that we do when it's, when it's somebody that we value. But ultimately, it comes back to it's all in our own minds, and it's the story in our head. And I'm a marketer, and I'm so fascinated by story and the stories that we can collect over time. And essentially, they lead to connecting those dots. And it's fascinating to me because there's, what, almost 8 billion people, and we all have these different paths, these different lives and these different stories, our parents say different things to us. And so what, what maybe you hear and you take that and internalize it and you're like, Oh, I don't care. That's, that, that doesn't matter to me. Maybe I, because of my stories, I hear it and I'm like, Oh man, I feel ashamed of that. I, I feel a stigma. And so that's where I think it's fascinating to just unpack that, how much impact kind of these stories of our lives, the, the interactions that we have in our lives lead us to feeling these things, but, but also we can unpack that, and probably what I covered in the episode was that we don't have to we don't have to be attached to those anymore. We can we can say, hey, 
that was just a thought. I don't need to to keep that going forward because it's not helping me. Right. Yeah, I think that's exactly what I what I was thinking about. And it's it's a it's a good it's a good um it's a good lesson to learn and to think about, uh, cause it's not like, you know, just because I'm in recovery that I still don't, um, have to deal with, um, shame and stigma for all kinds of different things that are, that, that might be going on. Um, I wonder going back a little bit to your story, you, you talked about how, you know, you were confronted by people who, you know, let you know that, listen, you do have a problem. What avenues did you take for help? I mean, did you did you go through the twelve step program? Did you go through treatment um, therapy? What 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 path did you take? Yeah, so it started with twelve step, um, and I would say it actually started with just kind of those those friends and family members that knew. Um, but went to twelve step, went to GA. I mean, that's my fiance said. There's a GA meeting in two weeks. You're going to go to it because we had a plan. So one week, and, and so I started going to that. But then I also started doing one on one therapy, which was fantastic. And that was one of the first times when I really, really realized the value of therapy because early on, I, I didn't really understand it, but, but it was, it was always interesting to see, okay, I can, I can talk about things here that are really emotionally charged. That yeah, it's tough. Somebody, do you find it tough to do? Did you find it when you, when you first got involved in therapy, did you find it difficult to get honest like that? I had a fantastic therapist um, and, and she really made me feel comfortable. And I think I was just ready to just kind of start to go. Yeah. And, and she just kind of created this comforting place. But I also knew, and I think it was relieving because I wasn't, I was so used to just talking to the people really close to me that were really emotionally invested in my success where, where she was able to, I was able to have conversations with her where I'm like, she's not going to take this home and it's not going to bother her at dinner. Like if I say something to her, she's not going to be like thinking about it for the next week or two. And I was always so, so worried about protecting the people around me from my addiction that I wasn't able to have that level of kind of just honest conversation. But when I got into therapy, that all changed. And so that was a huge thing. And then obviously the same with, with GA. I was, I was there and once I started hearing people say similar things, and it's like, oh, he did that? No. I, no, I think that's no what way. helped was, me eventually too. And, and I think that's what helped me when I went to therapy and, 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 and allowing my defenses down was knowing that, okay, I'm not some freak of nature here. There's a lot of people out here who have the same thoughts and feelings and reactions to life. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, just, and, and it's just that we can start to laugh about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's nice. It is. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's a whole different way of emotionally processing what we've done. And to be able to laugh about it and say, oh, man, I thought I was I literally thought I was the only crazy person that did that. But then also to to listen and hear their stories and understand what's working for them so that we can we can have kind of that, that, that perfect symbiotic relationship where where the new person helps out the person that's been around for a while. And the old the person that's been around for a while has all the insight to, to say, OK, here's how to navigate these tricky situations as you go forward. Mm hmm. Well, that's nice that you did that combination of the two. I, I, I sort of did that, but I was like, I was more involved in just going to 12 step meetings for a good long time, uh, before I started getting involved in therapy and finding other avenues and stuff. Um, what was your impression of GA when you first got there? So I had no clue what to expect. Right. I mean, and went in sort of kicking and screaming, but quietly, it was one of those things. And the first few times like, Oh man, what am I doing? Like what? why am I here and how long do I have to do this? But, and we had such a, our group was fascinating. We had probably three or four individuals with 30 plus years, which is unbelievable, especially in GA, which I mean, was founded, I think in the seventies. So that kind of forced me to say, okay, there must be something here. 
um, that, that works. And I just kind of stuck with it. Now, there were things that early on I just wasn't quite sure of, but I just kept showing up. And over time, things started to make sense. It started to make sense why the people there were comfortable. Because at first I'm like, okay, how are they able to joke around? Like we were just talking about people can joke around. And I'm like, oh, and they're kind of friends. They hang out. Like, why are, why are they doing that? Why are they hanging out with people outside of a 12-step meeting? But over time, I just stuck around long enough to start to, to understand how it works. But even, even early on, I, I think I, I was wondering, like, why, why does this 12-step program work? And even, even today, I look at some of the things I think, the reasons why maybe we think they work aren't necessarily. I, I hear you. I think I've come you know to that. I mean? Yeah. I, I really think I've come to the conclusion that what it is, is what you were describing is the people in the room. And I was talking to a friend of mine uh, just yesterday or the other day that the real magic of AA is like, it's sitting around a table with friends having coffee. You know, it's a real intimate, friendly, relaxed setting, you know, um, that, I think that that and having these people in your corner, these people you can re- relate to, I think that has more to do with had more to do with my getting sober than like steps or anything like that. In fact, I, when I look back on the steps to me now, it all it that was the experience that I had um getting into recovery. This is the experience that I had. It was just what I, is this what happened? I, and when you think, when you look at the steps, at least where I'm coming from now is like, they're almost like natural reactions to um, dealing with an addiction. You know, you admit you have a problem, you have some hope that there's help. You make a decision to change. You start taking a look at yourself and thinking about your behaviors and how, how you might want to behave going forward. You try to mend your relationships with other people. I mean, these are just things that, um, I think that we kind of just would go through anyway, and it's kind of now now we have them written down in, in, in some fancy language, I guess, on a, on a wall. Right. And I think we uh, early on, at least I kind of overvalued the literature and I'm like, OK, there must be it must be the literature. There must be the writings here and the writings are great. I, I like, did, too. What's the what's the literature like in G.A.? Um, I, th- I think it's basically the AA literature <laughs> okay. translated into gambling for the most okay. part, which is good because it starts a conversation. And actually, uh, our weekly online group, I mean, we still will read the, the data time book because it's, it's good for sparking some kind of idea um, or discussion. And, and that's where I think reading the literature still today, I get so much out of reading it. But it's not necessarily what the literature says as much as the, the conversations it sparks in my own mind and with other people. And that's why I, I agree with you. It's, it's the conversations, it's the people yeah, there, it's totally the stories is. there, yeah. which, which bring things to life. Yeah. And actually, when I, did, when, I, when I was um, at meetings, I actually preferred a meeting where the, the, the discussion would surround something that was read. The kind of meetings I really would cringe at were the ones where, does anyone have a topic today or whatever? And somebody comes up with this thing, you know, wild, crazy thing. And then what happens, though, it, the, the part that I really don't like about it is now that this, this person has thrown their problem out there, and now people go around, and it's like all directed to that person. Like, you're in, you know, and it's like, no, nah, for me, it works better when everybody just kind of, what I like about it anyway, and there's different ways of doing this, but what was good for me is just to have people listen to me. I didn't need to have, I, I didn't need anyone to counsel me in a 12 step program or anything like that. I just needed to be heard. Yep. I think, I think that's so human, right? Like we need, we just have a desire to be heard and understood. And I think that's the thing you can get inside of those groups that, that you, 
and I think you can get it. You can get it with anybody. You just have to have the right conversation. But but within those groups, it's that safe space to to go into it and be vulnerable and to talk about accessible. Things. They're accessible and free. Right. And especially now, I mean, with online, I mean, that was one of the, I mean, we can look at all the negatives that happened with COVID and meetings, in-person meetings. I mean, it definitely wrecked in-person meetings. And I don't know that they'll ever go back to being exactly like they were before. But in some ways, I mean, it's the GA, like I have a Google sheet. You can go on 24 hours a day and be in a meeting anywhere in the world, which is fascinating. And so I think there's, that's one of the cool things, I guess, that's come out of COVID. And, and it highlights that there's a lot of different ways that we can do recovery. Yeah, there's a lot of different really, ways that we can get people help. Yeah, COVID was a really interesting experiment for the recovery community, you know, um, because uh, first of all, I, I remember when we first kind of went into our homes and realized that we were going to have to find some other way to meet. It, a lot of people were scared about that. You know, they thought that, oh, there's no way I can stay sober without my peeps, without seeing people in person. And I have to decide COVID or sobriety. But then people learned that, oh, wow, I can go online. It saves me a drive. I can meet people from other parts of the world. And it just, it was eye-opening for a lot of people. And what I find interesting, too, is um, with these Zoom meetings, because you're not locked into a geographic area, you don't have to just depend upon meetings in your own city you do get different perspectives from different, from people that you wouldn't have otherwise. Absolutely. And and that's where the stories come in. I mean, that's, I just, last week I was in New York, I met up with a guy that like we met through me doing the podcast and he's on the group now that he would have never been in our group long enough. And now we've become good friends and we went out to dinner. It was fantastic. Like that's the, the power of these things. And even podcasts. I mean, I'm sure you see like having podcasts for people where they can go on. And it's almost like, I view it as a bridge to recovery, right? Like somebody might not be ready to go to a 12 step meeting or even an online meeting and online's really reduced that, that friction, but, but the podcast, I mean, I think it's just such a great way to get information out to people that need it and that might not be ready. Cause that's, I know I would have loved to have all the resources available now. And I, I sometimes reflect back and I'm like, would I, what would have changed or would I have tried to seek out help? if I could have heard those things and understood sooner that there were other people that were struggling with this stuff, it wasn't just me and that there was a better way. <laughs> this is Luna. Luna. Hi Luna. <laughs> Sorry. No, pets are great. I mean, that's, <laughs> we just got a, a little, a little puppy ourselves. So it's, yeah. it's fun. Yeah. But you're talking about the podcast and I'm glad that you are because that's kind of what I was kind of curious about. There's two things about the podcast that I want to talk about, but um, yeah, it's a great recovery tool. More people are that I I'm around people all the time who tell me the different podcasts that they listen to. And I get, I hear from listeners um, to this podcast and who let me know how much it helps them. And I know it certainly helps me, but what was it that made you decide that you were going to start a podcast and talk about your recovery? Honestly, some of the struggles that I saw with 12 step meetings, um, frustration, watching people come in and not stick around long enough to kind of see how things actually kind of work out in 12 step. Um, and also knowing how many people, I mean, just were never going to go in the first place. How many people were going to be like me that unless somebody um, caught them and said, you have to go and shove them in there and force them to stay long enough. Cause I think that's the biggest thing is I don't think enough people stay long enough to really understand and to see the value in it. Um, or maybe they stay 90 days and then they start feeling better. And then all of a sudden they're gone. And like, you kind of see that drop off, but I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, there's gotta be a better way. And I was a long time listener of podcasts 
And, and I was like, you know what? I think that would be a good way to deliver the content to really get somebody the information to, I mean, cause you can hear the stories of other people. And, and, and so I was thinking about it and, and was kicking around the idea. And then actually I was listening to another guy. I'm like, okay, are there any out there? And at the time there was one other podcast that was, was gambling related. I'm like, and I listened to it. I'm like, okay, like, I really like this. I listened to, I think I listened like three or four hours as I was doing a puzzle. And I'm like, this is definitely a great way that we can, we can get the message out of help to other people. And so that was really my inspiration. It was kind of almost just kind of, uh, seeing the inept things that, that weren't happening in, at GA. Not, I mean, and it's not a knock on GA, it was just the limitations of GA. Um, but also just that, that desire to help other people. And it was kind of a frustration to know that there are other people that were like me. And, and at this point I was, um, I think seven and a half years in. Um, so I was in a good place. I don't think I would have been able to do it year one or year two because it just wasn't. Right. Yeah. It's a real intimate form of um, communication. Um, It's, it's, it's more intimate than like a radio show or a television show or something like that. Uh, Because you really get the, when you're listening to a podcast, you really have, you're, you're, you're basically, it's a, you usually have a headset on earphones. You might be in your car listening to it. So you're alone and the person that you're listening to, it's like they're talking to you, you know, and especially when you're talking about recovery or mental health issues, it's like you're really getting down to some really deep stuff, you know, that you can relate to. And all of a sudden, you know, this person that's talking on this podcast is they're so relatable and they're making you feel like, wow, I can I can make, I I've been through that. I can make these changes or he's telling me uh, my story and I've never heard this before in that way. Um, it's just, it's a beautiful medium for recovery. It really works well. And that and books, you know, uh, and some people, you know, get information in different ways, you know, so you have people who prefer to read, you have people who prefer to listen and you have people who prefer to watch stuff. So it's nice to have the different ways of reaching people. It is. I mean, you definitely have different learning styles, but you're so right about the podcast. It's, I think, I think it's limitations, right? I'm, I'm from creative. And so like limitations breed more creativity, but it also focuses in on like our senses. When we, all we do is hear a voice, like there's no faking it. Like you can hear, you can hear things in a voice when that's all you have, even when like compared to video. Uh, and and I, I do think it's just such a, I mean, intimate was the word you used and I would, echo that it's intimate and it's comforting yeah and that's what is. people really need it and is something about that human voice that yeah i i get that a lot is people will say your voice is so comforting i think my voice is horrible but people but but i think it'd be any voice you know but there's something about hearing that that human voice where that's and there's no other you know distractions right and, and, and I mean, you've done so many episodes. I've done so many, like at some point you can't fake anymore. Like you start, you, you see, we see through people, right? Like, like people can go on for 15, 20 seconds or even a 15 minute show on TV, uh, media or whatever. And like, you're like, all right, is that the person? Is it not? But over time, I mean, you just, I think you, you have that depth uh, and that connection, which is really, I mean, I know the podcast, there's people that I will never meet them, but I feel like I, I feel like I know them. I feel like they're my friend. I feel like I could, I could hang out with them and be able to have a good conversation because I know so many things about them through just listening to them, share their story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in order to do a podcast, you, you're, you're open about your recovery. I mean, you're out there with your first and last name. I'm doing that now too. Um, how do you feel about that, about being open and in, in recovery? 
At first, I was hesitant. I think that's natural. And I think that's a good hesitancy at first, because I think it's, are you ready for it? And so even when I first started the podcast, I just used my first name and I gave some vague, vague details. But then over time, and actually I was invited to the National Council on Problem Gambling was uh, about, they were hosting their national conference and it was the summer. I started the podcast and I got invited to come be on a panel. That was the first time I did anything publicly. And at that point, um, then I started using my, my full name and I had such a good response there. I think people understood it and I could see the value in, in kind of putting a name and a face to something. Um, and I think go back to the connection. I think uh, anonymity is important and it's, it's perfectly great to have, I mean, if, if people want to have their own anonymity, but, but to be able to see somebody and say, okay, I see their face, I can see their name. It becomes even more real. And I think that deepens that connection. And as, I just, I, think I don't so know, too. I feel comfortable. I and, think so. And also, in my opinion, it helps to reduce the stigma. If you, if you're, if you are comfortable being out in your recovery, like you are, you know, not everybody is. And, and I might, I wouldn't have been my first year or two or three or four or five, or whatever, you know, I might, I wouldn't have been very comfortable being out like that. Uh, but I am now and that, that I am, um, I think is a, is a positive that you are, I think is a positive because it, it puts it out there that, Hey, there's no stigma to being in recovery from an addiction. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is uh, if I don't care what other people think about me, then like that shows the growth that I've had individually where now I'm just like, Hey, if, if you have a problem with my past, that's, that's a you problem. That's not a me problem. And, and so I can't, I can't internalize. I can't change what you think. I mean, the serenity prayer, there's so much brilliance in that. Like I can't control what anybody thinks of me. All I can do is control my actions here and now and going forward. And so that's why I like, I, I do think there's, and I think there is value in personally. And I just have seen my recovery has gotten so much easier. I mean, it's accountability also. I mean, everybody's looking at you and they're, they're seeing you and, and you're public about it, um, which helps with that. But it also just is the freeing thing. It's like, you don't have that's that. Huge. Does somebody know? If that's somebody right. Google my name, they're going to, they're going to find it. Which that's what I like, found. That's what I found when I, when I was, um, when I was be, just being totally anonymous and I was for the most part, most of the time I was doing this podcast, I was, I was Mr. Anonymous, you know, I was just John S. Um, but I just felt like I did back in my drinking days where it's like, I'm, I'm hiding a part of me. I'm, there's a part of me that's being hidden and when I stopped hiding that and was just who I was, it was a, it was amazingly freeing for me. It was a good experience for me. But like I say, you know, it's not, it, it depends it's just where I happen to be in my life. And right now I am comfortable with it, but I tell you, there was a time when I need, I needed to have complete confidentiality about my problem and I needed to keep it private from the world. I didn't want anyone to know. Um, and there was a, there was a need for that at that time. I think that's, that served a purpose, but then, but after a while, I think I, it was important just for me anyway, to, to be more open about it. Yeah. And I think the other thing that really played into it for me was gambling. We talked about how it's so easy to hide. And, and I think so many people continue even in recovery to hide it because it's the family stigma, right? Like it's not just the person. I mean, wreck the financials of an entire family and all the people around. And, and so it was important for me to start to put some faces to, to that addiction, which just there weren't, there weren't really weren't that many. I mean, there were people that were out and talking about alcohol addiction. There's people talking about their drug addiction, but there just weren't many faces. And I'm pretty much a pretty average um, guy from the U.S. 
And so, so I felt like, okay, maybe this can hopefully help reduce some of that stigma for other people that right. might come behind. You mentioned friends and family and on your uh, website, you, you mentioned that you do reach out to friends and family. You have like a peer support coaching um, plan that, that you, you can help people with. And you offer that not just to people that are recovering from compulsive gambling, but also their friends and family. Yeah. And I think that's been one of the more successful things because I think the people around, like you just look at it and you, you see it as a financial problem and it's like, okay, like just stop gambling. Uh, I mean, I saw that with my friend way back when was, okay, just stop gambling. You'll be fine. And so in order to build a support system around the, the person that needs help, I think helping the friends and family understand the addiction is first and foremost, once they can understand why somebody might be doing this, that it is an escapism, that okay, like, like there's these other things beyond the finances, then they can really start to help the person because otherwise they just keep going down to, hey, we'll fix the money problem, but but it doesn't really help the issue. And I wonder I think- with gambling and the family, I wonder if there's more of a trust issue even with the family because you're, you know, you're causing harm to the finances of the family and probably trying to hide that. And when that comes out, are there, are there just basic trust issues like that that have to be resolved? Absolutely. I think it's, it's a huge issue is the trust issue because it is, it goes beyond the person. I think, I think the stats say like the average gamble, like it impacts, I think seven to 10 other individuals. Um, which makes sense. I mean, when you start adding in, I mean, parents, you're borrowing, I borrowed from my parents. I mean, I mean like, and then even just, it's one of those things that you, you can't get that time and that money back. Uh, and so you have time value of money and it really starts impacting kids and spouses and, and so many other people. Um, but I think it really helps. And that's, I even did an episode once where it was like, okay, this is for your friends and family. Like if you're a problem gambler, like, like give this to them so they can start to understand so that they can help you. Because, because I, I just, I know personally, I see too many other people that when the friends and family, they do all the things that, that make sense logically, but, but they just don't make sense when you really understand kind of the roots of the addiction. Yeah. You know, I think it's important for almost anything, um, any illness, any um, problem that an individual is having, that there be some sort of communication with the family. You know, I grew up, for example, with a mentally ill, Ill mother and it was, uh, she got help. She went and got her help, but the family didn't. And it was like one of those things where we don't want to talk about what her problem is. And that wasn't very healthy. And so I I just think that, you know, if it be alcoholism, problem gambling, sex addiction, anything, even if a person's just struggling with a physical health issue, I think it's helpful for the family to be kind of brought in and, and um, given some tools to work with and understand what this person is going through and, and how that has impacted them and, and how they can change their behaviors to, you know, it's just, there's this huge impact on the family, you know, this kind of stuff. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, it goes well beyond ourselves and that's, I think just having those discussions because if nothing else, we start to learn and better understand as humans in general. And ultimately like if it's happening in our family, it's probably happening in us as well. Maybe it's not, it hasn't materialized into a full-blown addiction at this, at any, some point, but, but we're starting to maybe have some of those similar habits. And we, if we can understand it, then we can start to kind of nip those in the butt and not go as far down the road. At least that's my hope. It blows my mind how um, many people 
are impacted by addiction, mental health issues in general. I don't know if there's, if you can go down a block and not, and maybe every other house, there's probably an issue like that in that family. I mean, it's, don't you think? You're touching on something I've long believed in. I always laugh when people say, oh, addiction runs in my family. And I'm like, well, yeah, it, it runs in every family. I think so. I, <laughs> it's, it, it goes back to that Steve Jobs thing. Like, I just think it's a matter of like, what are we classifying as addiction? Because we all have these behaviors. We all need to escape. We have tough days. We have, we have struggles. We do things to excess, right? Like that's, that's addiction. We just we've kind of grouped these certain vices and be like, okay, this, these are the, the kind of top tier addictions, but we just kind of gloss over all the other things. I mean, a, a father or a mother that, that is struggling at home and, and their kids are bothering them and stays at work for an extra couple of days, hours or, or goes along a longer work trip. Like that's escapism. That can be negative. That can impact all these other kids. Just like if they're going to the bar, uh, like just like if they were going to the casino, like it's the same type of stuff. And that's, you hit on it. I, I don't know that there's a human that doesn't <laughs> suffer so some either. kind of addiction. And yet either. we think that we're, yeah, I, I know. It's it's kind of funny. So tell me a little bit about the, the coaching that you offer. and What kind of approach do you take with that? Yeah, so I mean, it's conversational. And so many times I think it's just, it's there to help people that aren't ready to do group stuff in a lot of ways. And, and also I think it's one of those things that get a lot of de- a lot more depth and understanding. And, and I definitely talk about the gambling stuff and, and sh- just in sharing my story, it's amazing. Even just in the first call, like within 20 or 30 minutes, a lot of times it's the first time somebody's ever talked to somebody else about their gambling. And, and there's just such a relief. And then we try to follow that up obviously with, with starting to build in some plans and to address some of those underlying issues that they may have. And, and I'm a big believer, like get, take everybody, all the help you can get, get somebody to a therapist, get them into a GA group, get them into all of these, these support systems that they can have. I mean, bring in friends and family. Like it, it definitely, I have kind of this collective approach where, I mean, I, I don't have all the solutions, but I've seen enough that can help guide people to right. W- w- the right thing at the right That's time. That's a big deal. A lot of people don't even know the resources that are out there available. Yeah, absolutely. And just and, being and, able to point to the resources is helpful. And giving the nudge. Yeah. Sometimes and letting it's them just know like, I tried this myself. You know? So many times it's just like, Hey, I, I'm, I'm struggling. This person, uh, they have some thought in their head, which we all have these thoughts in our heads. And I'm like, well, did you ask them about it? No. Well, maybe just go ask them about that. Have a conversation. That's your homework for for the next week is go have that conversation with your friend, with your with your parent, with your spouse. And, and just having that kind of nudge, uh, but also having it from somebody that's been down the path, I think is the big one. Because I, I think we all, we all like, it, it's easier to understand and to follow through if we know that somebody has been there and has seen it either personally or with other people. And, and so that's really been kind of the value, I think, is just sharing ideas that I've seen work, um, as well as the ones that, that haven't worked so well and being that resource, even just to answer some of the silly questions that we'd be ashamed to ask if it was in a group or, or to a therapist. Um, and that's really, I've seen so much growth and it's just fun to see people, um, week to week, month to month, really start to grow and bloom. And all of a sudden you're getting texts and it's like, man, I, I just love my life. Like I'm, I'm enjoying this while also sometimes it's like, Hey, I'm having a tough day. I'm like, yeah, that's life. And those moments where you just kind of connect and say, Hey, these are just moments we have. And these are the moments that would lead us back to gambling, which lead us back to addiction, but we're able to catch those earlier. Yeah. So kind of coming down into winding this, this down a little bit, 
is there anything about your recovery that that um, you're that you've experienced or that you've received that you weren't expecting that kind of came about as a surprise? Uh, for me, for example, it was like, wow, I have a lot of time to do things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, gambling, that's one that I think we all struggle with is I was a poker player, especially like it's a lot of time and, and also go back to the escape. Like we all have these, these, these times where we're struggling with things um, and we need to have healthy escapes. And that's been a big one, but and that's where I think the podcast has probably been a form of escape for me as yeah. well as growth. Yes. Um, I mean, I can relate. You can relate to that. I mean, it's one of those things where it, it allows me, it's, it's a way to journal out loud, like, yeah. write my story out loud. Right. And that's, there's been so much, and it's something I didn't expect when I started it. It was just kind of, okay, Hey, I think this would be helpful for other people, but I've just really seen how much just sharing and continuing to post stuff and getting things out of my mind has really helped me personally. And so it's that, that perfect symbiotic win-win relationship. And so that's been just something that I'm really excited about. And that's why I always, whenever people are like, Oh, I'm going to start a blog. Or I'm going to start a podcast. I'm like, do it, go do it. Because I've just seen um, whether they do it anonymously or with their name, it doesn't matter. Just starting to get those things out has been been unbelievable for me personally. Cool. So what's the best way to reach you? Is it at your uh, website, aftergambling.com? Yeah, I mean, after gambling, and it's pretty much after gambling on almost every social media platform. And yeah, it, all the all the different uh, Spotify, uh, Apple podcasts, it's pretty much everywhere. Cool. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you want to talk about? No, aside from just the the reality of we have this kind of wave of of gambling availability coming to us. Um, um, sports betting got legalized. Passport was overturned. I don't know how familiar you are with that in 2018. And it's something that we're coming state by state here in the U.S. And it's something that around the world, like many places have had legalized gambling. Here in the U.S., it used to be like you had to go to Vegas or you had to go to Atlantic City. And so I, I just think it's really important for us. And I'm I'm a fan of legalization. I think it's something that that should have been done a long time ago. I'm just hesitant, and I really want people to have more awareness that hey, this is a thing. This is something that can quickly go from um, fun with your friends, right, to getting down a path where where you really can. It, it really can go can. so quickly, and especially I mean, mobile devices. You don't even have to leave your bed. Uh, and that's you hear so many stories now. It's people that they're literally in bed with their spouse and they're playing online game. I mean, sites. And and it's not that those things are bad. Those are it's, that's not my takeaway. It's just just to have an awareness that this is out there. Like anything else, try to get get a better understanding of how the products work, how they might uh, play on your emotions, when are good times to use them, when are not good times to use them. And so, so just generally, just be curious about gambling and any addiction, but especially gambling because it is something that. I think with alcohol, I mean, we all know what two drinks does to somebody, what five drinks does, but gambling is so unique um, that that I think we just all would be better off just having a little bit better understanding and awareness of it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on here and and, and making that known and, and giving us uh, that awareness. And I think it's great to get this information out there. And I love your podcast. I love your website and everything that you're doing and look forward to following you as you continue. The same. It's it's always great to connect with other people that are on similar journeys, and it's just it's just fun, and I think it's uplifting. It kind of continues to give me motivation to continue on. So I appreciate what you do. That's another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety. Thank you for listening. 
If you'd like to support our podcast with recurring monthly contributions, head on over to patreon.com slash beyondbeliefsobriety or become a member of our YouTube channel. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, then visit our website beyondbeliefsobriety.com and click on the donate button. I do appreciate your support. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety.